This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Luke. Hi, I'm Tamome. I'm Jenny. I'm Paul. And I'm Seth. Oh no, we've got too many people on the line. Ah! What will we do? <laughs> And he says, and we're talking new releases and recent arrivals. Right, Jenny? That's right. Hello. <laughs> Jenny's a I feel like I'm back in the restaurant days where I was the only woman in the kitchen. <laughs> Make my food. <laughs> okay. So we've got a, it's not a giant list, I don't think, is it? Of audiobooks? Not too bad. No. Um, but there's sort of a re- repeated themes and uh, lots of rolled doll. Yes. Um, so why don't we talk Roald Dahl first? Uh, I am pleased to report that uh, The Twits is on this list, I believe. Yes, there it is. Only two CDs. That's just, just my length of a book hmm. with three different narrators. I think um, there's three different stories on there on two yeah. CDs. Yeah. yeah, so it might yeah. be one one uh, per story or multi, multicast, who knows. Um, in any case, uh, that's the one book by Roald Dahl that I really liked. Every Everybody in, as a kid, they liked you know, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Or, hmm. I thought those were good, but I thought the Twits was perfect. I modeled my life after Mr. Twit. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up here so I could have um, old bits of breakfast later on in the day. Can you give us a synopsis of it for those of us who haven't read it? Yeah, there's just this horrible family called the Twits, and, <laughs> and they are horrible. <laughs> Is Leo Laporte the father? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Oh, uh, why? What, what, that? I don't get that. Uh, this Week in Tech, the um, podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Very, uh, very <laughs> acronymical. Yeah. Yes. No, no, it's, it's just about another getting revenge on nasty humans. That's the, uh, that's the thing, the birds and monkeys and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the plot, but the but the main thing is they're yes. horrible people, and, and they're lovable, horrible people. They're not lovable. Yes, that's the point, but I love them. <laughs> is this where we get the word twit from for a horrible person, or did yeah, I don't think so. I think he, he reversed that, uh, is my guess, but that makes sense. It's, it's hard to, uh, it's a good question. Where's my Oxford English Dictionary when I need it? I'll, I'll look that up while you guys talk about your favorite Roald Dahl stories. Well, one of mine is on here, is The Witches by Roald Dahl, and it's a, uh, uh, it says at the beginning, this is not a fairy tale, this is about real witches. And now when anybody says witch, or like a witch, one of the first kinds of witches that comes into my head are the witches from this book. The ones without <laughs> any hair and long fingernails, and that can turn people into mice. And it's got one of my favorite hmm. ever endings of any children's story ever in the book. Wow. Don't want to spoil it, but it's really, really touching. And you just come at the end of it going, no, that can't be. <laughs> read read by Miranda it. Richardson. Nice. Yeah, all these readers are great readers. My favorite story by Roald Dahl is not on the list, and it's a, a story for adults. Uh, I read it in high school. It's called Lamb to the Slaughter. And mm. uh, it's about a um, woman who with an alcoholic husband, and she kind of loses it and um, murders it with a, murders him with a leg of lamb that's in her freezer. And uh, when, the, when the officers come to investigate, she uh, feeds the leg of lamb to them for supper. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a very dark story. Well, I wonder if that's... 
I wonder if that's going to come because we this is the second month in a row we've gotten a bunch of rolled doll books and part of what's on the list is also um, autobiographical. There are two. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Um, boy about his childhood and going solo about when he was a World War II pilot. So it looks like they're doing the entire set. Yeah, I think he also had a book called Piece of Cake, or maybe that's one of the stories in in Going Solo, um, where yeah, he that's another one of his crashing where he crashes a plane in a desert. Oh no, that seems Going Solo. I think anyway, I think there's one other called uh, Piece of Cake, which is his third book, or maybe Going Solo is the other name for that. But uh, maybe Piece of Cake was an excellent British uh, miniseries or yes, regular series where they only have six episodes uh, about Spitfire pilots. So. Hmm. I, um, you might be confusing it with that, but uh, I, I don't think he was a Spitfire pilot, but I, I can't remember what kind of no, pilot. No, piece of cake is, a, is an aviation term, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, by the way, twit etymology is from the 1930s or <laughs> earlier. Okay. Uh, meaning a silly or foolish person. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, that. And in an earlier dialect, it meant tail bearer, T-A-L-E. So- so it's so one of the many, uh, yeah, uh, anachronisms in uh, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie when the uh, the sheriff uses the word twit. Uh. Oh come on, dude! If you're gonna mock that movie, there are bigger things to mock than oh, absolutely. The word twit. <laughs> Wait, what is like what does piece of cake mean? A piece of cake is something very easy, but actually, in in the case of all of the senses of the use. It's actually something very hard. So if I say, oh, it was a piece of cake, it means, oh, it was no problem. I mean, what does that have to do with air, airline pilots? Uh, well, in in World War II, it wasn't used by airline pilots, but it was used by uh, fighter pilots who said, you know, oh, I, I, I pranked my aircraft and uh, you know had to bail out over the channel. It was a piece of cake. So it's a right. nonchalance thing. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's something that's yeah. difficult, but you make it look easy. Right. Hmm. Okay. You look good doing it, sort of thing. Yeah, it was even was even used in Battlefield Earth. Oh no. Yes. 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 yes, yes. The, the the savages once they start flying the plane say piece of cake. Yeah. I, I just, just it's actually the piece of cake is just a short story that Roald Dahl did write, but it was a uh, uh, it was called a piece of cake first, and then oh. it was it said that the original title of the article was a piece of cake, but the title was changed to sound more dramatic despite the fact that he was not actually shot down. Um, so it's actually called Shot Down Over Libya. So maybe I'm just getting mixed up with piece of cake references by Rob. Maybe. Oh. Um, these are for mostly for kids, though, um, other than these two at the end. Do we have any kid reviewers is the question. Oh, no, everyone that's reviewing them is an adult. <laughs> I don't think kids do <laughs> reviews, do you? They could. Doesn't Scott's kid do something? Yeah, I think that's right. But I mean, as a teen, like I remember I I consumed everything as a kid. I didn't like produce anything. You probably weren't thinking. Yeah, thinking critically about it. (laughs) You just and when you, you know, you hand it over to somebody else, you don't do a review. You just say, read this. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really know what, you know, you, you don't think critically. You just like stuff. Right. So well, and the nice thing about most of these reviewers. stories is that there's a lot of appeal for adults, too. There's, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the old um, Animaniacs or a lot of those old cartoons <laughs> where they're written on different levels. So you're a kid, yes. you enjoy it, but you miss everything. And you're as an adult, you get the jokes. So 
The other one that I, you know, I wouldn't mind looking at is, oh, it's already got a reviewer, is Fantastic Mr. Fox and Other Stories. Um, yeah. Stephen, Stephen Fry's the narrator. Hugh Laurie's the narrator. Oh, that's wonderful. That list is great. Yeah. They, they, so. they really are going out with the narrators. Mm-hmm. They're very expensive, uh, but I'm betting that it's going to pay off pretty well. Yeah, I listened to Matilda with Kate Winslet, and it was oh, wonderful. Wow. She was so great. <laughs> Nice. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a movie, right? Yes, yes. George Clooney. Hmm. Animated? Yeah. Uh, CG, yeah, CG. No, no, it's stop motion. Stop yeah. motion, okay. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, again, another one of my favorite short story collections by Roald Dahl is, is uh, um, Our Sweet Mystery of Life, The Country Stories of Roald Dahl, and it, there's some really, really fun, it says... Containing a lot of black humor, the book contains sickening and grotesque stories about rat catching, maggot breeding, poaching, and the mysteries and eccentricities of rural life. Um, uh, there's of some really, there's some really fun stories in there as well. Uh, just sprang to mind because I was telling uh, my girlfriend about one of the stories in there the other day. <laughs> <laughs> These ones stick with you. I'm not sure he was yeah, really do. a children's writer. I don't think he classified himself that way. It's just that his themes are sort of. He writes uh, about children, but that's not the same as being a yeah. children's writer. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, uh, we've had that debate about, you know, uh, whether somebody writes science fiction or not, but certainly kids love it. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I remember enjoying it when I was rereading it. Not some I, I reread Fantastic Mr. Fox relatively recently, and it was it was very fresh. Didn't feel like it had. Mm-hmm. Staled with age or anything like that. So. Sort of the way J.K. Rowling insisted that she didn't write fantasy. Did she? Is that is she? That... That's a, that was a quote of hers at some point. I don't have wow. a reference handy, but that's so ad whatever. Yes. Also, it seems that Roald Dahl wrote. I know. I knew he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but also you only live twice. Bond movie as well. That's some of right. Yeah. Seriously, wow. Yeah. I thought that was Ian Fleming. Uh, he wrote the script for it. Yeah. Oh. Um, I loved Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as a child. I did too. Me too. Oh, man. And uh, Chitty it's... loves us too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very much a James Bond story, isn't it? Right? He's got this flying car with all sorts of, you know, secret uh, levers that open things up and do all those spy sort of gadgety things. Right. It's all connected. But it's all well, about I, how the I children. Think she was a spy. You know, it's all about how the children have to take over for the the evil adults. Just mm. kind of a rolled doll theme. <laughs> I was very disappointed in the movie version of that. Well, I was a kid, and maybe it just went over my head, but it was black and white, and it was—I don't know. It just—I think it was black and white anyway. What's that? Did you see Bang Bang? The film huh. version. I was so excited because I'd read the book uh, like Jenny. I loved the book, and I was like, "Oh, it's a movie! I'm going to watch it. It's going to be great!" And I was—I was really bored. It's a musical, um, right? I think it is. Yeah, with Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, love Chitty Chitty. I can't remember. There was, yeah, there was a song of some sort. Truly, truly scrumptious. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I just look at here for You Only Live Twice. It was said, uh, um, uh, the screenwriter of the previous Bond films, Richard Maybaum, was unavailable. Roald Dahl, close friend of Ian Fleming, was chosen to write the adaptation despite having no prior ex- experience writing the screenplay. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, but some uncompleted. The bells of hell go tingalingalinga, which I've never heard of. Well, because it's not <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, let's move into. Uh, Wait. The, 
the, oh, okay. Okay, so we have one other book in this kind of children's YA that's, fantasy yes, that's category. That's one I wanted to talk about. I was going to ask you about that. You put so, grabby hands in your... Um, Yes, Catherine Valente, Catherine M. Valente is one of my favorite authors. And I actually came across this book in Publishers Weekly because it was talking about new audio productions and about how this was the first book from Dreamscape audiobooks that was read by the author and recorded in their studio. And I emailed them and said, can I please have a review copy of this? I've already read the first two Fairyland books. This is number three, The Girl Who Soared Over Fairyland and Cut the Moon in Two. And um, the guy that sent me the review copy said that actually because of scheduling, she didn't end up recording it in their studios, but it is recorded by her. And um, she has such a great audiobook voice. She has this like great depth to her voice. You know, she can go really low if she wants. She can go higher. Um, I'm about a third of the way through. It's really good. Have we we had a debate before on whether authors should narrate their own audiobooks? I'm sure we have. And some some definitely should, um, Neil Gaiman for sure. Absolutely. Uh, others definitely shouldn't. Yeah. yeah Robert, Robert J. Sawyer shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> he should write them, but he shouldn't, he shouldn't narrate them. Shouldn't write them either. <laughs> no, he's yeah. written good books. Yes, I know. I've just never found one yet. So You know, <laughs> the, uh, it's the one I can't, I can't believe they haven't put it out yet. It's uh, Golden Fleece. It's his first book. Okay. Wow. Uh, history, science fiction with a really good twist, very hardcore, uh, hard SF. Okay. Very, I'll, very I'll, clever. I'll make, look for it. I'll, I'll make a look for it. I'll uh, keep an eye out for it. Now, I, I do want to direct everybody towards the Dreamscape audiobooks page. It's dreamscapeab.com. Mm-hmm. Um, this company, you know, we haven't had a, big new company that doesn't belong to Audible or Amazon uh, in a long time. And this one, it has been around a little bit, but it may be have just gone into audiobooks in the last couple of years. And suddenly they're taking up a good chunk of my thinking because of this new uh, Radium Age of Science Fiction line that they've got. It's, it's mentioned quite often on Geek where they have uh, the guy who does the editing uh, for that, the paper book series and the ebook series. And it's, it's really cool because what he does is he, he reads, uh, old science fiction, uh, critical books, books about old science fiction. And he says, Oh, that's a book I've never even heard of. That's totally been forgotten. And then he finds a copy on eBay or wherever, uh, you know, in hardcover from the 1930s and he scans it up. And because it's public domain, he he has it OCR'd and then releases it as a, an ebook with a critical introduction and and putting it in its, in its context. I guess uh, the audiobooks don't have that, but um, these are very cool books, and we hadn't even heard of. I hadn't heard of most of them. The only one I'd heard of uh, is Scarlet Plague, I guess, and I'd heard of the Nightlands a couple of years ago. I heard of the Nightlands, but the other ones like the one that. I just received this week is called Theodore Savage. Um, I'd never heard of this book and it's, it's like a, it's a Britain is thrust into the depths of a dystopia, right? And it says, this says, oh, Jenny would like to read this book, but mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, at the time it was, uh, well reviewed, but it somehow got forgotten. Yeah, I've definitely I, never heard of it. I know. I, I'd never heard of it and I've been, 
you know, I, I love studying these old, old texts even more than the modern stuff. So, um, this is very cool. Um, we're going to do Goslings, right, Jenny? Yeah, in a month or so, we're going to have a read-along of that one. That's by J.D. Beresford, who who has written a few other things that have survived, but uh, Goslings is a is a a plague book in which only men are affected, and um, the world is destroyed in the sense because of women not being able to not being allowed to learn job skills. Hmm. Right? They don't know how to farm. They don't know how to uh, fly airplanes or run trains. They only know how to shop. Har har. <laughs> they know how to sew. <laughs> I'm going in with that. <laughs> Maybe not to review it on here, but it sounds like a fun book. I, I, I'm sure we talked about it before. So uh, yeah, and mm. we're going to pair that with another one called Herland, which is not in the. Uh, it's it's on LibriVox, but. Um, we may find another version between now and then mm-hmm. as well. But that's uh, by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who we all know from the Yellow Wallpaper is a great uh, writer. Oh, yeah. Great story. Cool. So that's my plug for Dreamscape audiobooks. I think everybody should check that uh, website out. They're very cool. Absolutely. Cool, cool products. And, and uh, Jenny, you're going to do the grabby hands review of the first one. <laughs> we got to field the rest of these to, to people who are going to review them because I, I, I like this company. I want it to do well. Mm-hmm. Diversity in audiobook productions is a good thing. Monoculture oh, is it's, bad. It's very, very important, I think. I mean, I, I, I like that Audible does so much, but they they are very scattershot in their, you know, they just produce everything by one author at, at a time, it seems now. Um, they're not, they, they haven't got like a, a one kind of plan. Um, and even if they did, that's not enough. I want yeah. every every paper book to be an audiobook. Absolutely, and even the problem with that um, monoculture approach is that if something if they don't think something is going to gain critical mass, they won't produce it. So a lot of these stories that have more kind of niche appeal, uh, they won't even look at. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't mind. It'll end up there. I, I don't mind if there's like a few like because it, what Audible doesn't do, I wouldn't mind like some other companies, you know picking up the slack you can just they can mm-hmm. actually maybe if they actually say audible are you going to do this book and audible can go like 99 percent not going to do that book you know and then mm-hmm. kind of free it up like free those rights up for, for other people i'm not saying that they have all of the rights uh so not but uh that would be i think a like a nice a nice thing uh for for other uh, for other audio producers just to be able to do those more specialist titles you know those authors which audible probably isn't going to get to for a long time you know the funny thing about this release list that we're looking at is there's a lot of really unique stuff from sm- mm-hmm. some of the smaller publishers like um mm. we have marvel spider-man drowned in thunder it's full cast audio from graphic audio but one of the versions they sent us is 5.1 surround sound on blu-ray disc <laughs> yeah, um, cool. that's really exciting i'm really interested in that um i'm I'm legally blind, and so I have a hard time reading comics. You know, I can now with the Comixology app that's on the iPads and its whole guided view. I can kind of muddle my way through, but it's very hard for me to read comics. But I love, you know, I love comic book movies. I love some of the material. I've read some kind of ancillary novelizations of comic books. So, you know, I love the worlds and that sort of thing, but have trouble with the, with the medium. So I'm mm-hmm. really interested. Um, I don't know if any of you guys remember... 
a while back, two or three years ago, maybe Amazon, not Amazon, but um, they did a um, Watchmen comics on iTunes, and it was a motion comic where they kind of showed the panels and they added a little bit of motion, like rain falling, and um, also it was a full cast recording. So that was something that I could actually consume. So you know, I, I wish they did more of that, and I guess it didn't really take on a critical mass, but I would love uh, to yeah, see more things like this. Yeah, I'm not a fan like of this. motion comics myself, but uh, um, it. It, and it, it it is sort of like a, a movement, the movement thing I don't get. But even if you disregard the movement, it's the pacing, right? I want I want to read it at my pace. And usually the way motion comics work, at least for me, is when you're watching it, you're you're going at the pace that they want you to, and they can speed it up or slow it down to make it longer or shorter. But it's never the pace that I want to like. I I sort of look back at the panels. It's uh, comic reading is very it's interesting because you have to learn how to do it, right? It's it's right. the spaces in between the panels, stuff is happening, and it's just like regular reading in that sense, um, as opposed to a movie. Um, and I think that's why motion comics don't work for me. Is it, it, maybe maybe it's a an artistic medium that I just don't appreciate, but. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's. It, it, it doesn't seem to have taken off in any great sense. I, a lot of companies have tried it. I think, but no, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's a niche thing. Um, I wish they would do something um, the equivalent of closed captioning on TV, but sort of have a narrated or you know um, some sort of descriptive, more descriptive comment comics for. Um, for blind readers, because I think there are a lot of uh, blind readers out there who would love to read comics, and, and the material is just not accessible. Mm. That's a great idea. Yeah. Because so, so much Spider-Man is so the Spider-Man is from Graphic Audio, so it's full cast, full uh, sound effects and music. Yeah. As well as the five point one. Yeah, and they just... sent us. They're still doing it on regular audiobook too, but then the new thing was the surround sound. So, so yeah. that that's only can be do, that can only be used with um uh, with on Blu-ray disc though. But yeah. Because I I mean I've just recently uh, bought a uh, a new surround sound system to put you know to play Blu-rays and stuff. But the CDs that we put on, like we just started watching uh, the first uh, first season, like the first few episodes of the first season of uh, Breaking Bad, and that's all in five point one surround. So uh, I'm just wondering why it's on blu-ray rather than just cd because like like sorry just on just rather than on dvd um just wondering why they've gone with blu-ray when dvd itself can just do 5.1 surround might be that blu-ray has a cachet that dvd is you know old pack i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure i don't think the storage would be would it would fit on a regular dvd i would guess well it's just audio yeah yeah I mean, why do they need the room of a Blu-ray disc? Yeah. Maybe. It's 12 hours. Oh, yeah, 12 hours. Yeah, so that's... It it fits on a regular CD, so regular five CDs, right? Yeah, we'll have to see what Rob Rob says about it, because I'm sending it to him to review. But it'll be interesting to see what his experience is, I think. All right. And then, let's see. um, There's another... There's another another, um, superheroes thing here. Well, yeah, I kind of stuck this in this category, even though it may not okay. really fit. 
<laughs> it's Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson, read by McLeod Andrews. And I think, Seth, do you want to talk about this? You've already read this book. Yeah, I wrote a review for it. Um, it's in the superheroes category because uh, the, the premise is that some sort of comet appeared in the sky, and as of the end of this book, they still haven't explained it. But this comet, or whatever it is, called Calamity, um, appeared, and once it appeared, everyone started to get superpowers. Or not everyone, but some people started to get superpowers, but pretty much unilaterally, the people who got superpowers went power-hungry and started taking over. So the the title character is a particularly powerful superhero who has a bunch of powers, but his main one is to turn things into steel. So in kind of a, a fit of megalomaniacal range, he turned the whole city of Chicago into steel. Um, so it's it's now called New Cago, and it centers around kind of a resistance movement called the Reckoners, uh, and apparently that's what the series is going to be called, who are um, fighting these superheroes. And um, I I really liked it. I wasn't sure I would. I've I've kind of been experiencing um, Brandon Sanderson fatigue. Lately, um, you know, I read Mistborn. I loved it. Um, I think Luke reviewed Warbreaker on SFBRP. Um, and, you know, all his books have, tend to have, you know, a plucky female character who, you know, rises above the, her expectations. And there's well, often a kind of mythically. Stays within, she stays within the kind of, uh, patriarchal society she 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 never she never goes too far she's always a good one right yes exactly it's it's, it's super conservative the way he writes these a female plucky female characters yes weird. yeah that's that's a good way to um um characterize his writing in general you know he refers to sex obliquely but um there's not really much over it. it's definitely not george r, r. martin style I guess he has a Mormon um, but anyway, sensibility to it. Exactly, yeah, and I wasn't I, I hesitate to bring that up, but um I it does I think influence his style. But anyway, um Steelheart is kind of a breath of fresh air because it is, you know, a kid's book and he some of those themes are still there. Um but I like I like that it, it really poses some moral questions about, you know, power and rebellion and whether, you know, revolution is a good thing or not and okay, you you're trying to take out this Steelheart fellow, but he's actually keeping some order together in this city of New Cago. So, you know, I liked all of that. And McLeod Andrews did a great job narrating it. So, and it's short. Yeah. I, uh, they, he did, he did one where it was a, like a kind of steampunky kind of thing. And sure, it's, it's all like, oh, and the magic system that, you know, he always seems to get too deep into. Um, a bit too scientific in some way. Sometimes I want magic just to be like, woo, and magic. But, uh, he yeah, was, it um, reminds me of the, the Arthur C. Clarke um, magic, yeah. you know, indistinguishable from science. You know, it might as well be, you know, chemistry or physics at this point. Yeah, it's it's indistinguishable from science. That's Brandon Sanderson's magic is indistinguishable from science, rather than that science being like technology being indistinguishable from magic. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, and uh, no, it's good stuff. He, he can write action sequences really well, and characters good enough. His humor. The, the character's humor in all of his books is exactly the same. They've all got his sense of humor, which is a bit annoying. But uh, I, I realized that they, they put a date for his next one in his uh, in his um, uh, Way of the Kings series or something, um, which uh, I, I listened. Uh, no, I read that first one, and uh, and I think I'll uh, continue with that series, even though it's a even though it's a fantasy series which hasn't finished yet. I thought I'd uh, 
uh, continue on with it because the first book was pretty good. I couldn't finish the first book. I, I'll maybe give it another go now that you've recommended uh, it so highly. Do, what I could do is give you a way to read it where you can skip the... If you only read the stuff that's happening on the on the broken plains where there's uh, you know people fighting over these lob, big lobster things and doing that, if you just read that section of the book, it's actually, it could actually be a much better novel. But because he, he wants it to be a, a larger scale book, he puts this other stuff with this other character. It's like a whole other novel within another novel of this other character, and it's just not needed at all for the story. So I would suggest do it, but only stick with the stuff ha- that happens in the chapters on the plane, on the broken planes. But there's two main viewpoint characters there, and just stick with that. That's what I'd say. Uh-huh. Because that story itself is a self-contained story, and they only there's only one connection with this whole other massive thread going on. So uh, if that happens, if that other thread happens to be important for the next book, I would say uh, read that in advance, but you don't have to read it with the rest of the book. But that's my little, that would be my remix of it. That would be my edit, is just to remove the female character who's learning about magic. Just remove her completely from the book and just concentrate on the Dalian and the Nablion and the uh, King and the other person over there. (laughs) If only you were his editor. (laughs) I I wouldn't want to be his editor. That means I'd actually have to read his books when they're longer than they are now, and I don't think I could do that. (laughs) Cut things down. Have you guys read do, any of you? Do you read think they're actually cut? I don't think they. I don't think they do any cutting anymore. Yeah, I, I don't that, think so either. He, uh, Brandon Sanderson, on his blog, uh, from the blog post I read, seems to be pretty open about his writing process and cutting process, and he does cut like in his in his own like his own reports of his um, like the length of his novels when he finishes writing them for the first time uh, and then cuts them down. I think the I think people see his Wheel of Time stuff, but that really wasn't his material. I think he just he had to wrap up a twelve book series in one novel. That was always going to be difficult with the pressure from the editors, uh, from the from the publishers, say, hey, how, we, how about we do this in three books? But I think for his own, he might cut his own stuff, but I don't think the editors cut is what I'm saying. I don't oh, think okay. the editors are saying, you know what, dump this chapter, uh, tighten this up. Okay, I think I they say, they like him long now. Yeah. I would say not all of his books. He can write short novels as well. He's not not all of his books are super long. There's only a few of his books which are super long. Most of his novels are quite uh, quite consumable length, I guess. Yeah, and this book, Steelheart. I mean, it's written for kids, so it's the pacing is pretty tight. Um, but yeah. there are you know philosophical conversations and things like that. So yeah, overall, pretty good. Yeah, twelve hours, not too bad. I played two Jessies. <laughs> <laughs> Tam's pushing this this uh, metering system. I don't know if it'll work. <laughs> I thought you made that up. No. Oh. <laughs> I I I made it up for myself, I guess, but I didn't put a name to it. Oh. Uh, let's let, let's talk about some paper books. I got a big stack of paper books right in front of my microphone here. Oh great. Um, why did they send us uh, a paper book from Sweden? That's, <laughs> that's my question. Was that Is it in Sweden? Yeah. No, it's in English. Okay. But did they literally send us one from Sweden, Jenny? There's one on the list here. Oh, which one are you looking at? Um, it's under the, I think, the horror thriller section. Um, lost my spot here. Superheroes. Okay. We did that. So it's kind of like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Well, one of them, I think I remember what you're looking at. And uh, I think we'll, if we tell them who wants it, they send it. Oh, like, okay. Electronically. It's called Six Pack of Strange Horror Tales, mm. or pulpy, etc., by Michael Fawn, F-A-U-N. Um, and it's, it says we've got a paper or digital, but not audio. Right. And, and it's from Sigil Forlag, which is Sigil Press 
a small press in Sweden. Yeah, wow. but um, being October and everything, it sounded kind of fun. Lots of little horror stories. I, I like short stories. I like horror stories. But it's just it's surprising that we would get something in the mail from all the way from Sweden. Yeah, they contacted me directly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I like the small presses, though. You know, I like to see what yeah, they're up they to. Yeah, they actually make nice books. Yeah. They, they tend to, like, put a lot of attention to their product rather than sort of factory stuff. They tend to um, uh, illustrate and 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 note and all the things that sort of get forgotten in the factory processing. Yeah, and some of the descriptions of these stories, like the deconstruction of dream-catching Henry with a traveling street musician <laughs> and uh, the gold of Mulgrave Hollow with a cursed cemetery and pesky gophers. I don't know. It just sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> And I don't have anyone for this yet, so if you guys I'll take it. It reminds me of Bill Murray and Caddyshack. Yeah, I'll put you down. What's what's the name of this one? Because I can't get the six pack S I X pack O strange tales. Oh right, oh right, it's down hard to categorize fiction. I see. I couldn't find it there. So yeah, and they're I think they're all written by the same author, Michael Fawn. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna hear Bill Murray's voice when I'm reading Pesky Gophers. (laughs) (laughs) All right then. That's it's kind of like a, a cute version of the Graveyard Rats by uh, uh, who's that guy? I want to say Robert Block, but it's not Robert Block. Hmm. Maybe it is Robert Block. Yeah, and then there's another story where giant armadillos Henry are used Cass- as war tanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just lots of little fun details. Has anyone uh, ever seen an armadillo? Really? I don't know. <laughs> it's right outside your window, Paul. <laughs> okay. Can we move on to the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare ah, stuff? Oh, I got to I got to do my tour books. I got this big stack of tour books. I want to move out away from my microphone. Really? So number one okay. is the Goliath Stone by Larry Niven and Matthew Joseph Harrington. Presumably, this is going to be an audiobook extremely shortly, if not already. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much Larry Niven's contributing to the writing of things anymore. Yeah. But uh, it's a new series and. Um, this is the first in it, I believe. Just see here. Witty dialogue, laugh-inducing prose, incredibly fun. Oh, doesn't sound very... Uh... Niven, no. Niven, no. no. Oh, he did do the Draco Tavern, which is... It's humor, but it's, uh, it wasn't laugh out loud. It was more like smirking, good, you know, silly humans jokes. Yeah, and this came out in audio in June. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it took a while to get to Canada in paper. <laughs> uh, I've got Ellie Modisette Jr. This is somebody who I get a lot of paper books from. He is prolific. It, yeah, and it, this one is science fiction. Um, it's called The uh, the One-Eyed Man, uh, taken from that, you know, the land in the land of the blind, the one-eyed yeah. man is king. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't sound bad. It's a It's a... Planetary romance, I guess. Um, a very cool cover on it, sort of Lovecraftian monster in the background, and uh, uh, a Mennonite-looking farm girl in the foreground. So, um, if this was an audiobook, I might give it a shot. Yeah, I, I interviewed him on SF Signal about the book. Did you? Yeah. Did you talk about this book? We we talked mainly about this book and, and about how he switches from science fiction to fantasy and back again. This is actually he actually was. This is. Um, Palin Carr's artwork and 
it was commissioned for this book and then it wasn't available for a while and then they they used the artwork for some short stories on tour.com there's a little bit of controversy over that whole over that little part of how this artwork's been shopped around but it's a it's a very good looking piece of art it, it 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 is it's very inspirational i can see why he and other authors would want to use this artwork to uh inspire their fiction oh did, so the the art came first and then the the story came after yeah cool yeah, that's a sort of an old technique, right? Where the where the author says, "I've got this story title. I want you to uh, write something that'll fit it." Yeah, kind kind of like the old Phil K. Dick the Zap Gun. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. actually. Yeah, and uh, and I believe like amazing stories. They would, you know, Frank R. Paul would draw some whacked out picture, you know, the bee people of Neptune or whatever, and then somebody would write a story to. To make it make sense, and of course... It so, sense, who's, who's the author of this one? That is Ellie Modisette Jr. Ah, okay. Is that is that the right pronunciation, Paul? I think so. Yeah. Okay. And what was That sort of reminds me... It's called The One-Eyed Man. Okay. It, it sort of reminds me of um, Italian author Italo Calvino wrote a book um, where he basically took a tarot deck and just, you know, put down cards in a in a tarot pattern... And I wrote the story from that. I can't remember. It's called Castle of Destiny, or so. I can't remember the title, but it was it was a neat concept. That's that is a neat concept. That's the same one as uh, Man in the High Castle, except not tarot cards. It was uh, the Book of Changes, uh, the I, I Ching. The I Ching, yeah, yeah. Um, last book from the paper book section here: The Lost Prince by Edward Lazari. Big thick one. Uh, although not physically high at all in size, it's a, a thick book, and it's the second in a series about a, a New York City cop who is dealing with um, what? How do we put this? Cross world fantasy and urban fantasy, I guess. Um, name drop of the Dresden Files. For I, that one. I've heard of this series. I haven't read it yet, but basically, yeah, he's really a lost guy in this alternate world, and he's doesn't have his memories, and that world starts colliding with ours. It looks interesting, but I haven't read it yet. I need to. I need to at some point because it looks like it'd be something right up my alley. Oh, it's the series is called The Heroes of Andor with two A's. Yeah, and Andor's the other world that's intersecting with ours. So it's not a trilogy; it's a series, I guess. We don't know uh, how long it's going to be. As long as people start keep buying them, maybe I don't know. Yeah, and it looks like you can get a an excerpt on tour dot com, so get a taste of it. We got to get these sent sent to Jenny so she can use the book rate to ship these to uh, people like Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they get into Canada, it's, it's there's no way to get them out. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just buy the book but you again. Can't check out. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like the Hotel California, Tam. <laughs> oh no, mail goes in and never comes out. That's right. It doesn't look like there's ever been an audio book of the first one either. I don't know why. No, I looked it up. I didn't find one. Hmm. Pretty. Okay. Um, so back to our regularly scheduled programming. I think Luke had something to say. He really oh, wants yeah, to talk no, about just, Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was scrolling down and there was a section on uh, uh, in this in this list of of different Star Wars stuff. First of all, um, there was a uh, Hand of Thrawn, book one, Timothy Zahn, is out. I presume that would have been out before, but I guess it's... Here it is. It's a re-release, maybe? Yes, I, I don't know, but there's some Thrawn. Good on them. 
Um, so, uh, let me have a look. Oh, yeah, and then there was um, this William Shakespeare's Star Wars. Uh, and I first saw that this is by Ian Dosha. Dosha? Mm-hmm. Dosha? And, um, I think you pronounce it Desher in the audiobook. Desher, okay, that's good. I, don't, I haven't listened to the audiobook. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's Star Wars retold in iambic pentameter, or pentameter, <laughs> depending on your um, pronunciation or pronunciation there. Uh, yeah, and it's Star Wars done in Shakespearean language, and it sounds good. I first heard about this because Jonathan Davis is one of the uh, is one of the readers, and he mentioned it on Facebook, and I was like, hey, that sounds good. So I, it does sound good. So I put it in my wish list. This, this is the kind of thing that really would, this is, yes, this is really good fun, I think. I love different fan adaptations of Star Wars. If you've seen the Star Wars Uncut, um, which is Star Wars, the, the original movie, A New Hope, was split into 10 second sections and then they got hundreds and hundreds of people just to record their 10 seconds worth. And then you it was it interesting. And it, it, it I, wasn't I really, you couldn't really watch it as a movie, but it was interesting. To what see. do you mean you couldn't watch it as a movie? I sat there and watched it all the way through. It was great. Yes, but <laughs> it, it was not the movie. No, <laughs> but it, the point is... It that was liked, the movie, but it wasn't the movie. I like these recreations which rely on you knowing the original movie off by heart. Like, yeah, if I agree. just... If you just listen to Shakespeare's Star Wars without knowing Star Wars off by heart and without knowing, you know, big sections of Shakespeare, maybe not off by heart, but without, you know, without knowing to recognize, being able to recognize the language, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you and you probably wouldn't enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's just, I, I like, I like some fiction which relies on complete familiarity of a subject. And there's very few subjects which you can produce a work like William Shakespeare's Star Wars, you know, which combines yeah. two of them. Uh, or the Star Wars Uncut, it's very difficult to to have a one piece of work which is well known enough to as, enough people that you can actually get an audience for that kind of thing. And because uh, because often like fan things and fan fiction, like who really needs a fan fiction of this minor thing? You know, you're never going to get it. But this is fan fiction, and it can be professionally produced by professional authors and producers and narrators and things and uh, it kind of you kind of have to rely on something as big as Star Wars to kind of piggyback on it so Star Wars seems to get many of the the most professionally produced fan works yes reimagined in glorious iambic pentameter yep. so I, I've sent you guys a link to the uh, slate excerpt uh, of this uh, Biggs, Luke, R2-D2 are in a scene uh, with Darth Vader um and Big says, make haste, O Luke. Methinks they do approach, even faster than before. I shall not hold them back for long. Luke, now R2-D2, straight, increase the power. R2-D2, beep, wee. Biggs, make haste, Luke. Oh, alas. Darth Vader shoots, explosion, Biggs dies. The best part is the R2-D2 is, um, they have some of the R2-D2 sound effects, but, and I guess this is just to preserve the iambic pentameter, but um, when you see the beep wee, there's someone actually saying beep wee squeak squeak, and it's it's wonderfully whimsical. <laughs> Enter ghost of Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This should be fun. The only only other one that would work, I would think, uh, in the same way doing Star Wars would be Doctor Seuss or something like that, where you, you've got the sort of a stylized language that you could bring to it and it would really what Doctor it, it would really Star work. Wars you mean yeah Dr. Susie and Star Wars yeah, the, the best line from this um, audio book is well it's the best line I also think it's kind of a cop out but um, 
the cantina scene after everything goes down with uh, Greedo and Han, Han says, and whether I shot first, I'll ne'er confess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, well, even that kind of thing. Rely- I-, I watch these there. Uh, um, Lego Star Wars animated mm-hmm. short, well not animated short, they're like 30 minutes each, but you know, like they're not, it's not a series, they were just one-off, you know, like mini movies, and uh, yeah, they, they rely, they don't only rely on you knowing Star Wars back to front, but also you have to understand the fan culture around Star Wars, um, you know, there's lots of shoot person, you know, who shot first, and um, yeah. and all these other things, and you know, and it just totally rips the piss out of the prequels, uh, and you know about how bad the acting is in there, and this is like in an official, an official thing. So yeah, it's not just about the original thing that you can base it on, but also yeah, you know, like the, the other fan opinions of the, the original work. So good stuff. It's one of those things. Like if you're a Shakespeare purist or a Star Wars purist, you won't really like it. Um, the Shakespeare, the iambic pentameter is pretty good, but um, Shakespeare is written in blank verse, meaning it's not supposed to rhyme. And he yeah. mostly sticks to that, but sometimes he just can't resist throwing too many rhymes in there, and it kind of throws it out of the Shakespearean mode. Um, there's a sort of chorus that introduces some scenes, and, and it's always in rhyme. And um, my other complaint about the book is that I don't know if they couldn't get the copyrights for the Chewbacca sound effects, but um, <laughs> the guy who does Chewbacca it just sounds like a throat infection. Uh, so <laughs> really frustrating. <laughs> exactly. I just noticed actually that the rhyme here, he rhymes seen with unseen. And I would, I, as, as someone who writes a lot of songs, I would never write seen and unseen because it's just, it's too close of a rhyme. You know, yeah. seen and seen is a homophone. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite are forced rhymes. I love, I love it when <laughs> forces a rhyme at the end. Um, at the end of, uh, Tiger Tiger, right? Um, Cemetery, yeah. Symmetry. I <laughs> that, what now? Okay, you got me. Maybe Joss um, Whedon can do the movie. He likes Shakespeare, and I'm sure he likes Star Wars. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'd watch that. I, I think a or a stage play would be probably even better. It's just proof that there's just no end to how many Star Wars things there can be. It's just this huge fan base. So it's like yeah. a fountain of creativity. Yeah. Ends. But Random House seems to have the corner on the audio market for that. Uh, All yeah. three of these are from Random House. Should we go into the next ones then? The next mm-hmm. one. Yeah, so which direction do you want to go? How about to the epic fantasy? We have two really interesting things going on there. Um, the first one is Golden Age. It's a full cast audio drama that you can get to for free online. Um, it's from Cascade Studios in the UK. I thought I would read the description. That's all right. That's good. The world is on the cusp of a new age, but will it be one of peace and prosperity, or will the shadow of darkness spread to engulf what little remains? Three heroes, separated by space but joined by destiny, each struggle with their own trials. The freelancer Edge, who must play the role of guide against his will. The assassin Dante, who is more than he appears to be. And the errant knight Mia, who finds herself suddenly in mortal danger. What awaits them is unknown, but they hold within them the promise of a new golden age. Who's I don't know, actually. <laughs> it's look at it here. It's a link. Let me click this link. Yeah. It was hard to find information about each one. Oh, is it a podcast? Yeah, it's kind of like they do episodes, but you can listen to the entire story. Uh, okay. uh, writer and director Ben Warren. It's not a name I'm familiar with. That sounds interesting. Me either. 
I like to listen to audio drama before I go to sleep. But is it completed? Is it finished? This one is. Some of the other ones that they're working on are not quite finished, but you can listen to them as they go. Um, there was like another series. Studios, yeah. Yeah, what was the other one? Tonberry and Glass. That's the one that they also wanted us to talk about, but it looks like you can only get to the first episode so far. And that is more of a like a mystery series. Comedy, I think. Oh, mystery. comedy? Okay, yeah. <laughs> the mysterious case of the housing insurance claim, so it sounds like it could be both. <laughs> they have Rowhide the Rock Musical as well, so it looks like it, they're not just doing fiction. Oh, I mean, I guess they are doing fiction. You can get this, you can download this for 10, 10 euros of uh, an album of some kind as well. Sounds quite good. Yeah, so you can listen to the episodes each for free, or you can download the entire thing for a cost, right. it looks like. Um, looks like it's a lot of fun. I haven't tried any of them out yet, but um, I like it when people are doing different types of things. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. I um, only ever hear the beginnings of anything because I fall asleep. <laughs> it's too bad you I can't like get them it on to, like... and then and then I fall asleep and I wake up and they're they're finished. Mm-hmm. And then you dream about it. I I don't know if that's true, but I, it, it might be the case. I don't remember them if I do most of the time. Oh, if oh, if I'm listening or watching or doing something just before going to bed, it always infects my dreams. Like the time I played Portal before going to bed, and then I oh, so out Portal. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. I, I that, that's the one thing that always gets me because I often like if I do get into a computer game, I often will spend at least one night until four o'clock in the morning playing it, and then for the the next four or five nights in a row, I'll it'll be. I'll be doing the problems. I mean, I have played so much Tetris with myself while I'm half asleep <laughs> when I wake up in the morning. Because I, you can picture a full, because you don't, like, once the shape is there, you don't need to, you don't need to picture all the pieces that have arrived. And your brain can randomly pick a piece for you and you can slot it down and then you know what the shape is on the top and where the holes are. So I have actually. That's exactly what your brain is good at while you're dreaming is picking kind of random like, shapes. Yeah. Kind of like a Lumosity, that, that new brain game service. What's that? Uh, Lumosity. It's a it's a website um, where you sort of play these little flash games, but they're meant to improve um, brain functions and memory and and that yeah, sort of thing. Okay. Well, if they're not fun, I don't want to play. Yeah, them. it sounds like a bit of a scam. improve my brain. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> That's what they should put on the Tetris label. It's well, good for it's you. It's good for your brain. It's not. It just <laughs> makes you play it in your sleep. It's really. It's true. <laughs> and what's the other? What's the other uh, traditional fantasy that we have here? Uh, we have the Savage Tales of Solomon Kane by Robert this, E. Howard. This is one I specifically requested uh, to get permission to podcast one episode of, and they they sent us some ones for review slash giveaway, right? Right. So it's an MP3 CD from Tantor Audio and. Uh, we have one for a reviewer and then two to give away. So if you have made it this far listening to us. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. How We're only we an hour in. Don't worry about it. We're doing okay this week. <laughs> so how should we give it away, Jenny? What, what do you think? I don't know everyone who comments on the the post that has the podcast attached. How about the most savage comment? <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> we wait until the very end, and then right at the very end, we say a word, and whoever you have to post that word in the comments, and that will prove that you've got all of That's all. for the punishment podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no! Of course, I've to listen to the whole thing. Everyone else will see. 
everyone else will see what word that is. So they'll know. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you True. the story in here that we're gonna do uh, as a podcast. It's already on the schedule. Yeah. Uh, it's called "The Hills of the Dead," and I picked that one specifically because I think it's awesome. Um, I like Solomon Kane stories. There, there was sort of a weak movie. You guys may have seen it a few years ago. Um, it looked good, but it totally savaged the uh, original character uh, backstory and such. So don't bother with the movie unless you just look at the poster. But this Solomon Kane character, he's a he's a Puritan uh, from England out to uh, right wrongs all over the world. And and uh, in this particular story called The Hills of the Dead, he goes to Africa and uh, meets up with an old black friend of his who is uh, a witch doctor who gives him a magic staff and can also, uh, I don't know, astrally project himself into, oh, I don't know, possess other people's bodies. And they fight um, vampires, like a huge, I don't know, plane full of vampires. It's like uh, uh, I Am Legend sort of thing. I don't know. It's really cool. So and is we're gonna that story part of these Savage Tales? It, it's in there, yes. Okay. Uh, so this is this is the complete uh, stories of Solomon Kane, And the other stories in there are shorter or longer, but this is my favorite. And there's even a poem in there, I think, too. Hmm. Um, he's a fun character. He's, he's not Conan exactly, but he's got the sort of cool writing that... Howard is really good at. And this is, we've done, um, Tantor's been really good for us because it's given us an audio story from, I think, four of their collections. And there's uh, maybe two collections left. We've done a horror, we've done a Conan, we did, um, uh, what else did we do? We did a Cull. So this is, it's, it's, I think it's a really cool, um, sample. Hmm. Uh, and if you, don't uh, win this prize. You will hear the audiobook, and uh, it's a it's a good deal too. I think Tantor has eight buck audiobooks at the moment. Wow, and it's twelve and a half hours, so it's yeah, it's, know, it's, pretty lengthy. it's good stuff. It's two Jussies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's catching up. Uh, We're gonna make it work. Five hours of the the Jesse, apparently. I didn't know that. It kind of sounds like the Dresden Files, like a staff and fighting vampires. Yeah, oh, it, yeah. in fact, it's the staff of Solomon. It's yeah. uh, it's a very it's it's very cool. He's he's not a wizard, but he, he'll take wizard power. Hmm. And you're doing that next week, is it? I I think it's a couple weeks from now, but I could be is wrong. It, I, it says it says the twenty. Then it's next week. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then. Uh, check the schedule. I I I, I, I don't check the schedule until Monday. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what I've got. I have a so, few of the books that I'd like to talk about. Good. Yep. Because I have to I have to go in a bit probably. So let's see if we can get this. Out of Time's Abyss, which is Passback Trilogy Book Three. We did a um, uh, an interview or a discussion about uh, the first Passback book. Um, David Stifle. With David Stifle, and this is his third book in that series, and it's out on Audible. So I thought I'd mention that as of nice. release date, the twenty seventh. So yeah, about a month ago that's out, but. Cool. Um, also, The War of the Worlds, Global Dispatches. I think, Jesse, you and I talked about this, but I can't remember if we talked about it on a podcast before. Uh, no, I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. I, I downloaded that from Downpour. Yeah, uh, but this is from 96. Uh, yeah, I thought it was new. No, it wasn't. It's just newly out on Audible. 
um, as a as an audiobook. So it's lots of short stories written about or based on the story of War of the Worlds. Um, and it's got loads of really good authors. Actually, I'm not sure if these are all of the authors, but this is uh, uh, Mike Resnick, David Brin, Gregory Brentford, John Walter Williams, Connie Willis, Robert Silverberg, and Kevin J. Anderson as the editor. And, they, and it, yeah, it's all books set in the world or set after or during the time of the War of the Worlds. Um, and that's, that's only half the story because the each of the writers is picking a historical figure yes. uh, to write it from the point of view of. So the first one wow. in the series in the in the book is Mike Resnick writing as Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, and that is wow. a fun story. He, yeah. So he's in he's in Cuba and he's writing letters back to uh, his family and friends and various people saying shot a beast in the in the wilderness, almost died. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh it's 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 good. Mike Resnick is you know if you've read more of his stuff you know he is a big Theodore Roosevelt fan. Yeah, so the it, starship it, in um in uh the starship the series starship is named yeah. right. All the all the the sh- away boats or whatever they're called are named after his sons and it's fun. Yeah, R- Resnick yeah. has a whole book of Roosevelt alternate Roosevelt stories out there uh, that Subterranean put out. Nice. Anyway, I looked at the Wikipedia page about this, Jesse, last time we talked about it, and it says about, oh, Martians landing elsewhere. The thing is, in H.G. Wells' original book, there's no evidence that any Martians landed <laughs> outside of England and London. There's only one landing space, and it's pretty clear that they only landed in and around London. And it seems that most people have in their brain from the, all the other retellings of this that they landed worldwide. No, it wasn't. It was like 16 shots from Mars, 16 ships landed around um uh, London and the surrounding areas, and that's it. It was a purely an English an English uh, invasion. Well, you 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 take out the uh, the toughest guy in the room first. Right? Oh, exactly. That's the <laughs> yeah. I only know this because at I'm, the time I'm Britain spanned the world, right? Yeah, yeah. true. Sun never sets on the British Empire. That's right. That's the whole thing. Whereas these stories, some of them are like set in Alaska or Canada. That's a great story. That yeah. after a long winter is a great story. Yeah. I will it's in my it's in my audible wish list, so that's why I wanted to mention that one. Um another one. There's a movie coming out based on Ender's Game. So and there's a Ender's Game Alive, the full cast audio play, uh, which is a seven hours twenty four minutes audio play written by Orson Scott Card. So it's adapted by himself, so um that, I'm interested he's been doing in seeing what they do with that because it's bad? I don't know. It, well, it's it's pretty close to the length of the original book, which makes me think it's going to be more like a full cast uh, audio audiobook, but with sound effects. Yeah, but you, have you heard this? Uh, who the cast is? Ender Game. Yeah, Alive. Kirby Hayborn is the uh, Ender, right? Yeah, Kirby Hayborn, Stefan Rudnicki, Theodore Bickle, Scott Brick, Samantha Egger, Harlan Ellison, Susan Hanby. I mean, it's it's a big that's list. A great, that's a big wow. name. Samantha Egger's good. Yeah. So Harlan Ellison. Really. Well, he was he was in the original uh, audiobook version. Mm. Yeah, hmm. and there's an original score and Valentine's theme. You know, uh, you know, there's different uh, uh, additional music and arrangements. So yeah, it feels like a, uh, quite a big thing. You know, it's 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 advertised right on the front page of Audible, probably because I'm, I'm looking forward to that way more than the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and Card's been doing theater. Um, I heard an interview with him a couple of years back, and he's I forget where he lives, but he's the director of some local theater, so he has some theater experience, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes. they're pushing Ender's Game... Sorry, come in. 
Well, it's gonna, I heard uh, Stefan Runicki on The Functional Nerds, and he talked about this. It's going to be all dialogue. Yeah. Ah. So yeah. Uh, we'll see how that works so out. So no sound effects? Well, I mean, no. I guess no text descriptions. I don't know about the chorus doesn't come in and say what's happening. I think that's the point. But so we, we uh, because on the um, SFBRP, me and Juliano are often like if there's a if, if we go and see a movie like we went to, when we saw The Hobbit, we reviewed The Hobbit um, book plus you know plus the movie and stuff like that. So uh, and when we did Dune, we watched the movie and we reviewed the board game and all these other things too. What else did we? Oh yeah, Solaris. We watched two different versions of Solaris. Listen to the BBC um, uh, audio, audio play, drama. which I think is the best dramatic adaptation of Solaris, is the BBC version. So, uh, so we'll do that with Ender's Game. And I was going to just read the book again, but now I see this come out. I think we'll do. We'll watch the movie. I'll listen to this audio play, and uh, yeah, and then Julian will read the book. I mean, we've already read the book, so I guess we can just we could just watch the movie and listen to the audio play on Ender. What's that? Sorry. You're going to overdose on Ender. Well, we did that with Solaris and with, what else? Did, yeah, in Dune, we went a bit over the top with Dune, too, I must admit. Um, so we'll do that one. Shadow too. Um, and the other thing that I have here in my Amazon wish list, which isn't in my wish list, and the reason is that is that it's not out as an audiobook yet, which is the third book in the Gentleman Bastard series, uh, or sequence, it's called Lives of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch, Red Sea Under Red Skies by Scott Lynch, and then Republic of Thieves, <gasps> unavailable. Um, it says unabridged, but it's unabridged and unavailable. Uh, so, narrated by Michael Page, I'm currently listening to Red Seas Under Red Skies. Brilliant. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I've enjoying it so far, but I heard this one had like pirates in it and ships, and I'm a third of the way through, and they've only just, and I was, and I mentioned on my, uh, last update to Goodreads, I was like, when are the, when are the pirates coming? I heard there was it's pirates. It's coming, there's, there's swamp yeah. buckling. But I'm a, th- a third of the way through the book, and suddenly they mention, oh, and there's some ships. And uh, I'm literally on that scene where they say, there's some ships, you've got to do this with the ships. And I'm like, this is a third of the way through, and I was expecting the, the real story to start a lot earlier than that. Um, so, yeah, it feels a bit weird that they, they were so far into it, and the main thing that I was waiting for has only just turned up. You have to bring cats on board your ship for good luck. Just remember that. Okay. Thanks for that. Uh, thing. Anyway, so I just thought uh, this book just came out, but no audiobook. And, yeah. Yeah, that's surprising. There, there will be one, I'm sure. So who was it who read, who listened to this one with Michael Page, narrator? Um, I had listened to the previous two with Michael Page, and he's he's a brilliant narrator for, for these sort of dark, um, kind of dark humor books. He narrates... Um, some of Joe Abercrombie's work and, and does a brilliant job. So I think also a VS Reddick's Red Wolf Conspiracy um, ship novel. So he's a great narrator for this style of, of writing. Yeah. I quite like all of his voices except for Jean or Jean or Jean, as he pronounced it. Um, and because he, he speaks a bit too, in my head, he speaks, I know it's weird to say this, he speaks a bit too much like Bane from the latest um, uh, yeah. uh, movie. He's, I am a scoundrel who is here to do this. And he's got a very low voice. And, and I'm just like, that's not who John is. I always thought John had to, like, maybe a... I mean, I know he's meant to be a big guy, like a roly-poly, like, big guy who's also a, a martial artist or whatever he does. He's always also a killer. Um, but for someone who's meant to sound like a, like a scoundrel who rips people off, sounding like this is not... In the same way that Bane is a bit of a weird voice for someone who's meant to personify chaos. I am the person, 
you know, I represent chaos in Gotham. Well, well, how do you do? Okay. (laughs) Brilliant. It's an ironic performance. Well, I I don't know. Anyway, so it keeps reminding me of that every time. Every time Jean speaks, it sounds a bit like this. Well, I do say, Locke, you're getting me down, gods damn it. Anyway. So So it's coming out on the 22nd, apparently. The Republic of Thieves is coming out on the 22nd. Of October. Uh, Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I won't have finished Red Sea under Red Skies by then, but... uh, A couple days from now. And that's uh, from Tantor as well. Okay. Anyway, I, that's that's all I have to talk about. So you guys want to finish off your lists of things that you want to talk about? I have one more book I wanted to mention. Um, it's on the Random House Arrivals. It's The Circle by Dave Eggers. Um, and I've been reading this in the EPUB format. Um, but it's, it's a sort of near future, I want to say dystopia. It's not quite as far. It's the beginning of a dystopia. I'd say it, it centers around this company called The Circle. And they're sort of a cross between Apple and Google. And it's basically a satire on the privacy implications and negative impact of social media can have on the world. And you know, it's, a, it's really well written and a lot okay. of fun. Um, the problem with it is it, it gets a little tiresome as satire can because it's, it's kind of a one-trick pony. But it's still a really good book and I overall so far recommend it. Is it uh, overly long? It doesn't say the length on here. I can't remember. I'm listening to the EPUB like um, with with uh, text to speech, but um, I think it's a fairly short book. I think I think the audio is maybe 14 hours, maybe two and a half. Jesse's. <laughs> <laughs> we got to stop this. Is it, is it science fiction or is it just no? It's it's not science fiction. Um, it's it's pretty much modern world. Like I said, very very near future. So things like um, high definition cameras, the size of your thumb that can kind of capture full video and audio. That's about the the highest technology you get in it. But it's it's more about the underbelly of of these technologies and the the social implications of them. And Dave Egger is usually, I mean, he's just a literary guy, but he always seems to kind of zero in on something social justice related and write about that. And then he'll move on to another topic and write about that because he's written about New Orleans and I can't remember his earlier stuff. So yeah, he kind of jumps, I, um, jumps around a bit. <laughs> I was, um, I, I don't like literary work generally, um, but I had heard New York Times book reviewer, one of those guys had published an excerpt of the audiobook as a podcast and I listened to that and that's what got me interested in again because the writing is fairly strong and hmm. and the themes were interesting. Yeah, it is. Sounds like it would make a good movie. <laughs> I like these modern modern sort of thriller near future books. Yeah. There was um a few years ago there was a book uh that I reviewed when it was put out free on Audible and I guess that was because there was the sequel was coming up or the next in the series or the next by the same author called uh, Paranoia uh, by Joseph Finder. And that was set in a big tech company, uh, kind of like Blackberry or uh, Rim, I guess it was called then. And the way they the, the plot worked is it was a corporate espionage, one person uh, spying on another uh, one company spying on another by sending in, you know, secret agent to work for that company. And. 
uh, it got turned into a movie recently, but apparently it's it's horrible. Uh, Might have been just that the timing wasn't so good. Well, and remember um, Reem D or however we say it right, right. by Neil Stevenson. That's been coming oh, up gosh. a lot, especially in my Facebook feed lately because of all the Bitcoin stories mm. in the news. Um, mm. They're like, it's just out of Reem D. <laughs> I like all that stuff that kind of anticipates those things happening. But yeah. this is the question. I watched Gravity, the movie. Have you seen the movie Gravity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Is that science fiction? Because my argument is no, it's not science fiction, but it's the first non, it's the first fictional uh, movie where all the action takes place in space. Like we've had, we've had, uh, you know, Apollo 13, which was, which isn't science fiction. It's just a movie which happened to be with all the action taking place in space or, right. you know, in that, most of the action taking place in space. Whereas Gravity, I don't think it's science fiction. It just happens to be fiction. It's like a disaster movie set in space, and just because it, some of the science doesn't work, or well, doesn't it have a working space shuttle? That's science fiction. No, it's not science fiction. It's just <laughs> it's just a spaceship that doesn't exist. It's like the Poseidon. Like the Poseidon is not a real ship, but it's a disaster movie set on a ship that isn't real. And the Towering Inferno, like the the, the tower in the Towering Inferno, isn't a real tower. Or you know, the volcano in Dante's Peak isn't a real volcano. You know, it just happens to be a uh, a, 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 a non a non real thing in a in a movie. But just because it's non real doesn't make it science fiction. It just makes it fiction. Anyway, yeah. it's space fiction. It's, yeah. it's space fiction rather than science fiction. It's it's just literally it's a very good disaster movie. If you want a really good disaster movie, that's it. It's not, but it's not, there's nothing science fictional in it. I mean, it wasn't quite enough disaster for me actually, but not quite enough. <laughs> Well, well, it is, it, is, it is a very tight focus on on the one character, so that's that yeah. kind of that kind of limits the disaster, Jenny. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it, but it, it it might not have to do with. I think Luke's using the Margaret Atwood argument. It's, <laughs> it's like it can't use it, it can't be any technology that can't happen, right? No, I'm not. Using uh, that therefore, definition. it's not science fiction. How about this? Does it have a cold equations style? plot because if it does then it's science fiction what's the there is a, uh, uh, we don't want to spoil i don't know if i want to spoil this for you jesse or for our listeners or no, not so i'm not sure i should answer that question <laughs> well what's cold let, equations? Me, let me tell you i like the cold equations if it has a cold equation style plot then will i like this movie i think you're gonna have to explain what that is the Cold Equations is a story by Tom Godwin. It's a very important story, not very well written, but very important story, in that it divides the people who read it into people who think it's, who don't accept it, or they do accept it. And the basic premise is there's a girl on a spaceship, uh, she's stone, uh, stowed away on it, um, and they haven't calculated uh, that she would have done that, so there's not enough fuel to get her to the destination along with the pilot. And so at the at the end of the story, she is kicked out of the airlock because she will kill the pilot and the medicine that he's delivering. Mm. And and the reason they have to kill her is because the equation won't balance unless, you know, X amount of fuel plus uh, oh, uh, the weight of the girl will not get them to their destination. That safe. sounds just like bad spaceship design, though. Well, see... People who people who say that are rejecting the point of the story. The point of the story is there is a fact about reality that 
you know, if you're falling, an unsupported body cannot stay up, right? If if you build a spaceship with only a certain amount of fuel, you can't go to Jupiter. You can only go to Mars. Okay, well then, without spoiling anything, I think there's an element of that in there. All right, good. But it's not designed into the spaceship. It like there is. It's in the story. It's, it's in the story. Possible. Yeah, it's in the story. Yeah, Let's it, not spoil it further. Yeah, sounds good. Plus, there's hot astronauts. <laughs> I, don't, so I don't think that that kind of thing is a big part of of what happens in the in the movie. And mm-hmm. if it is, that kind of thing happens in every disaster movie, which isn't science fiction. So I, no, no, no. Every disaster movie has uh, at the end somebody. You know, well, some of them don't. I mean, there was one uh, 2012. That that thing was just an entire joke about disaster movies and all that, that come up, right? It's it, it 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 takes the ending of every disaster movie and puts it in every scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Basically, yeah. Improbabilities continue, 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 continue. Yeah. Impossibilities. I don't know. I, all I was trying to say is that just because something's set in the current day with technology doesn't make it science fiction. Um, Again, I Agreed. think I think there is a science fiction. You need to have like I know it's a weird thing to say, but like in a science fiction movie, there has to be some way into the story with a new scientific kind of thing or new technology, and then you deal with that. And that that isn't this. This is just a disaster movie. It has to care about science, not just. It does care know. about science, and it cares, but it cares more about the story. And scientific accuracy isn't a big part of this movie. Um, looks beautiful though. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted about it, and apparently there's some flaws in the science. There is. Me and Juliano actually were sitting next to us, each other, going, "Oh, look at this!" And I was going, "Yeah, but like the 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 orbits, these two orbits wouldn't have matched up in that way." And and then she's like, <laughs> "Oh, she's crying, and the, and the and the and the water's <laughs> going away from her eyes." And we know that doesn't happen because we saw the Chris Hadfield video where he, you know, simulated crying in space and at the the water actually pool around your eyes rather than floating away. And then we got back and looked up to see if we were correct about all of these things on, um, on the on the IMDb goofs page about the movie. And we spotted one thing that's listed as a goof, which obviously wasn't a goof. Um, they just didn't understand that someone was using is a it, powered... Is it a sort of kaleidoscope by Ray Bradbury? Is, it, is that that story? Is that what the story is? It's so just kaleidoscope? It's a disaster movie. Something goes wrong and they have to get themselves to safety. That's yeah, but kaleidoscope is is a disaster okay. in space. Every disaster movie you've seen where okay. something goes wrong and they have to get themselves to safety, that's all it is. That's the, that is the <laughs> sum total of the story of this movie. Something goes wrong, they have to get themselves to safety. Exactly like every other disaster movie. That is the point of disaster movie. Something goes wrong, get yourselves to safety. You're not there to solve problems, you're there to get yourself to safety. That's it. But, does George Clooney get carried away by a comet? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> Spoiler. No. <laughs> let's let's get back to audiobooks if we can. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are there any any on this list that we haven't talked about that we should? Um. There's. I mean, there's always a few we don't always mention. Indeed. So uh, there's a, we'll, there's we'll a superhero the that's not in the superhero section. Yeah, I should have. Cowell's creations of comic book culture. Yeah, this is nonfiction. Um, I'm probably going to buy this from my library, actually. We have a few classes nice. that touch on superheroes. So it's just the cultural history of superheroes. More like a reference book, I think. Well, you know, overview. Yeah. That'd be uh, nice to have as a paper book, not just as an yeah. audio book. 
because of the illustrations, no doubt, that are throughout. Yeah, and then we have a considerably long book about, um, it's called Command and Control, Nuclear Weapons, the Damascus Accident, and the Illusion of Safety by Eric Schlosser, who wrote also Fast Food Nation. Um, that one's from Penguin Audio, and it's read by Scott Brick. Well, I'm not familiar with the Damas- Damascus Accident. Which one is this? I don't know if I know either. I, I think this is the one where the, we nearly dropped a bomb in North oh, Carolina. Yeah. I think that's right. What I'm okay. About. They just re- right. Released. They accidentally drop nuclear weapons uh, that are half triggered <laughs> out of aircraft. Oops. Right. Well, that it's mentioning Damascus, lot. Arkansas, so it might be a different yeah. story than that. But no, no, I related. think that's what it is. Now that now that yeah, that, that makes more sense. Scary that we've had multiple problems. Like well, it happens here. a lot because they have so many of them. Right there, they've got nuclear weapons all over the aircraft carriers. There's like 13 aircraft carriers. Right there's there's all the the nuclear bases right it it's it's surprising there hasn't been a, yeah a big accident really you know it's and interesting that's the point of this book I had to think back like why do I have so much nuclear information in my head I just read this book called um, Visit Sunny Chernobyl <laughs> and it's about like great title uh, yeah it's about tourism and the world's most polluted places and cool. it talks a lot about how actually nuclear power is, well, he tries to make the argument that the risks and the damage weren't as bad as people think, but I'm not sure I believe it. <laughs> this book seems to have the opposite perspective. They're not, they're not bad for the, the, the um, climate. They're bad for uh, the people who live near them when they go wrong. Yeah. It was amazing to see though, the report back from Fukushima of all the, of all the news that the, like, Thousands and thousands of people died because of the tidal wave and thousands of people died because of the earthquake and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the number of people who have died from the actual nuclear disaster at Fukushima is zero. And the amount of people who have been injured is zero. And yet it's still Hmm. making the news. I mean, of course, it disrupts the whole city around it. And, you know, everyone's had to move away. But um, it is one of those weird things when, when you actually look at the look at the numbers of people who are hurt. And at the moment, zero, which is really weird. considering how much uh, news is you know ink is spilt on that uh, on that subject well it's it's something that we're 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 more afraid of because we can't see it yeah and then something like um you know you see the tail the tailpipe smoke coming out of your car it's not scary you know you you don't go you know suck on it but it's not (laughs) scary yeah but how many people die nuclear radiation is indetectable by you know just looking at it you can't see it will die because of car pollution in in, oh thousands thousands china every year and how many people die from the nuclear power stations every year it's it's hundreds of thousands to zero but people yeah people get down on the like germany has they just said okay no more nuclear power going over completely Hmm. to uh renewables which is a good idea but still you'd think that People actually look at the, and that was purely because of Fukushima, because they were discussing if they were going to do that, and then Fukushima, that whole disaster came, and they were like, okay, no more, no more nuclear, which is strange. Hmm. But should be an interesting read. Mm-hmm. And then the other, only other one I want to mention is the um, another set from LibriVox, the year's top short SF novels three. Oh, that's not LibriVox. It is. Infinivox. 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 Well, this one has um, just six stories, 
Uh, one of them is The Stars Do Not Lie by Jay Lake, which had been nominated for Hugo this year. Uh, there are actually two Jay Lake stories, one Elizabeth Bear, one Stephen Popkes. I don't know how you say his name, Robert Reed and Walter John Williams. That's a nice, that's a nice set of stories there. Yeah, they usually select. Yeah, they have really good selection for those. So those are usually pretty enjoyable. I guess that's about it. Uh, What about uh, Thomas Pinchon? Well, he didn't really fit into our genre, so I didn't really mention him. But he is. um, I'm going to give it a try. I've never listened to Pinchon in audio before. So I'm not sure how that'll go. Oh, I've only read one, but I really loved it. Um, but he writes a lot of different things, so I'm not sure about this one. Um, but it's about the internet, so I guess that's kind of related. It is kind of a um, tech thriller, maybe. Yeah, and this one's actually a finalist for the National Book Award this year, so I was going to read it anyway. That's what it says, Jenny. Maybe. Jenny, maybe. <laughs> Jenny, maybe. Um, I wanted to tell you guys, there's a. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies on YouTube. It's surprising how many movies are on YouTube these days. But uh, there was one uh, that popped up somehow, maybe on Twitter or something, called uh, Star Trek Aurora. And this is like a full-length episode that looked like it made, maybe took five years to make. Uh, but instead of like a lot of the ones that are being made, these Star Trek um, fan movies or fan TV shows, instead of being live action, it's animated uh, using um, computer generated uh, characters and human voices. And uh, it was, it was kind of weird. It was, it was like a little bit sexualized, a little bit Star Trek-y. It was, it was like, it was like, Hey, this is what one fan thinks of the Star Trek universe. How it should go. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's a little bit sexualized, a lot fewer characters. Very com- uh, the characters are commercial pilots rather than, uh, I don't know, Starfleet officers. But it has a very Star Trek plot. And it has a, a backstory that's pretty interesting. Um, and, and I think there's a second episode in production. So um, <laughs> if you don't mind your... Star Trek series taking like five years to come out yeah. for every episode. It's actually pretty good. I watched it last night. and was like, hey, this is kind of, this isn't bad. It's actually a lot better than every Voyager episode I ever saw. <laughs> That's a low bar, though. No, no. I mean, <laughs> some of them were okay. You know, the one with seven of nine or whatever. is it six, six seven, nine, of seven, nine. seven of nine. Seven of nine. Seven of nine when she first shows up. That's pretty okay. So is, is it set in the Star Trek world? Yeah. The old Star Trek universe, so uh, original series era. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's it's got a little bit of a sense of humor, but it's kind of weird. Like the the animations, they seem to at some parts they're like, oh, that's expressive, and then when they're walking down the hallway, you're like, those look like robots walking. <laughs> they don't look uh, fully, but the story's pretty good. So I was I was kind of surprised at how good it was. And it, it has a real, like, you know, it's 50 minutes long, and it, it has a real Star Trek sort of plot. It's not science fiction exactly. It's it's definitely Star Trek, but I I think I think people will like it. I, mean, I just wonder if Paramount or whatever will get... Will no, get... They're, they're cool with that, I think. I mean, there's so many of them now, right? There's, there's like, two live-action shows, at least, where they have 
you know, replacement Kirk and replacement Spock doing additional adventures. On replacement Enterprise. But yeah, but this exact, and with a exact set of the you know Enterprise, it's amazing. Yeah, wow. But this, this is non-Starfleet, so maybe they're not, they're more cool with exploring parts of the universe they're never we're never going to see. It's 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 a hell of a lot more Star Trek than what Paramount's doing these days. Uh yeah. Well, again, it comes back to comes back to that uh, point where you have to base your fan work on something which has already got a big enough draw for people to uh, to spend time. Well, if, if, if I, I think people a, just. Like it. I but, think it's not that they're, you know, they're trying to get eyes. I think because... Yes, no, but what I'm saying it. is that if this wasn't a Star Trek thing, would you would you ever sit down and watch no. a 55-minute no, homemade animation? I probably animation would never have heard of it. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why these things gain traction. I guess that's right. So we'll start I'm going to go, guys. Dinner's on the table. Oh, bye, Luke. Okay. Enjoy. Manja. So shall, <laughs> shall I leave this recording, Jesse? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Paul. Yes. You haven't had much to say, and maybe that's because we we overloaded the show with characters. <laughs> um, uh, well, what's new with you? I you, I was saying to everybody uh, how while you're going and getting your camera, how photography you are. You're always twittering your photos, and you take really good photos. What's what's up with that? Um, it's it's a hobby. I I've had I started twenty years ago, experimented, dropped off, and then when digital cameras finally get got going, I decided, okay, I, I'll pick up this photography thing again, and I've been shooting with the DSL, DSLRs for about six, seven years at this point, and I've been slowly building up my portfolio, for lack of a better word, although I need a real one on the internet. All I have is thousands of pictures scattered across the internet. I don't have a real solid place. I've sold a few prints now and again. There are there are, there are people listening to this podcast, hello, Mr. Jeff Patterson, who have my prints hanging up on their wall. So, hmm. and but uh, I was also saying that you don't just like me. I like taking photos, but I I always sort of take them of the same things. Whereas you go places to national parks and I such. I I do I I don't have a I don't have a real love for like still lives or abstracts. I like like say Sarah Troy and there I go plugging people again. I won't sit there and take a picture of a bowl of fruit. That bores the crap out of me. Now going. Going to a waterfall and taking pictures of waterfalls—that's much more my my style and my my interest. I like to show the show the world to people and to myself. Mm-hmm. That's that's where my real passion comes from in photography, basically photographic tourism, for lack of a better word. See, it's interesting because when I was a, a kid, I, I went to Europe and I specifically didn't bring a camera. And the reason was, the, the logic was, I didn't want to be like all the people I saw who are tourists, where they stand there and they take pictures of the, of the things instead of experiencing them. They spend a lot of time framing things up and asking people to take photos for them and all that stuff. But it, I, I guess my thinking has changed now that the camera is my phone. And, you know, it wasn't sort of a, a separate thing. You've always got that thing handy and just snap it real fast. The, 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 the advent of... Cameras and camera phones has made just about anybody a photographer, and there are even books out which teach you how to take better phone pictures with your cell phone camera. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a real thing. I mean, can you make a gallery size print out of that picture on your cell phone? No, but can you make a decent enough one to send to your to your grandma grandma in email? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's 
in some in some ways the real digital camera, which is not say say something below a DSLR and above a cell phone, is really getting cannibalized and pushed out of the market because cell phones are so ubiquitous and their cameras are good enough for ninety percent of people. It's, yeah, it's true. Like I'm surprised how like my 3GS was like that was some of the best pictures I'd ever taken. It's a, yeah, it's I just picked up the. Uh, iPhone 5S, and it's it takes some amazing pictures. Yeah, and if you just know a little bit of what you're doing and spend a tiny little bit of time framing and composing a photo, it's difficult to tell the difference between something you take with your phone time home and what I take with mine, unless you wanted to go, say, print it or get something large, then that's the only time you'd ever noticed, okay, this is a cell phone, it looks grainy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're not. You can't do the like. Whenever I try and take a picture of the moon, it's it's pretty weak. Well, well, even taking pictures of the moon is difficult. I mean, if you just it's true, but it it looks like a you know a, a white blob. Yeah, a white blob. Yeah. Yeah, you you, you got you got to play with the manual controls even on my camera to get a decent decent picture of the moon because the sensor doesn't know how to do that white moon on the black background properly. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll do it one way wrong or the other. You have to. I have to do it artificially and tell it what I wanted to do to get it to come out. So we'll practice some real practice. How, how are you uh, with uh, little Lego minifig uh, phot- photography? Because I'm getting pretty good at that. <laughs> I, oh, cool. I, I, I need a macro lens, really. Yeah, I, I want one of those for my iPhone that I can just snap on for when I'm I just finished making something cool Lego. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've seen some macro photography and I like it. I need, I need a yeah, real lens fun. to... To really bring that out, I have I have stuff I could do for macro photography, but I need an actual lens. Actually, a real a real lens will do it. But if, if you get a real one to one macro lens, then you can really get. That's when you like the stuff like Jay Lake does, and you get the pictures of bugs and things all close up. That's really cool. There's a there's a new Sony thing that is an SLR camera that is not a. Um, it's it's just the it just looks like the lens, but you can link it via bluetooth to your phone so you can use your camera uh, your phone is your viewfinder and they're separate like it's separately powered so you don't have to physically be connected to it um and i was thinking that'd be really cool but then i was thinking why don't i just get a regular camera it's probably about the same price on the other Uh, hand being able to remotely control that has its advantages mm mm-hmm because, no. because for like longer long exposures, I need a tripod because if, because no matter how still you are, you, you'll you'll shake your camera and trying to hold your camera for a, half a second or a second. Whereas this, you could just have to set the camera down and use the phone to control it. You wouldn't even need the tripod, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have any camera shake. That's actually a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Also, things like wildlife, it would be great for if you could. I don't know what the battery life is on it, but you set that thing in a tree. <laughs> and secure it. Five hundred dollar camera getting wet. In the, no, I think I think there's specific <laughs> uh, there's specific devices now that do the motion only capture sort of thing. But I don't know I don't know how good a picture you can get. Yeah, those. they're not very good. My dad lives out in the country and he has a what's called a game camera, and mm-hmm. uh, you'll get and also things like the 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 cat and stuff will set it off. So you've got to also filter through a lot of junk pictures. I mean, it will. Occasionally take some pretty neat shots, but in terms of quality pictures, so that's why I was thinking, yeah, if you could waterproof this thing and actually, you know, have some control and and see what it's seeing, 
you could get some really nice shots potentially. Yeah, put in a, put in like one of those underwater housings. Capturing the na- nature. I don't know how what the range on the Bluetooth would be. Anyways, this is sounding like a DSLR podcast, and there's enough of those. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we ought to wrap it up. You know, the, that's probably a thing that there's more podcasts about than any other category. Is my thinking is cameras and 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 fo- you know photoshopping and, and that sort of. Thing. Do you listen to a lot of those, Paul? I, I mainly read blogs rather than listening to podcasts on photography. I, I read a lot of photography blogs. There's many photography blogs as there are science fiction, probably several mm-hmm. orders of magnitude more. Yeah, I would guess so, just because it's it's um, it's something everybody does. Well, yeah, everybody and, and now, pictures, right? Not everybody reads. That's unfortunately true, and more people should read or listen. But that's life. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.